Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. I'm very excited today to be joined by Heather Harding, who is the executive director for an organization called Campaign for Our Shared Future. We're going to talk about some of the trends around books and banning books, particularly in K-12. That's part of why the Campaign for Our Shared Future was founded. Before we get to any of that, Heather, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. And we always start with folks during their first appearance to get a read on your origin story. How did you get to this point in your professional life? Can you catch us up on how you got to this point in your career? Absolutely. And thank you for having me. And thank you for doing a show on this very important subject. So I like to think of myself as a K-12 girl. I have been working in K-12 for the totality of my career. I studied journalism. I grew up in the Midwest, studied journalism, and read about a program in the mid-90s called Teach for America and decided that I did have a secret lifelong dream to become a teacher. I joined Teach for America and taught in rural North Carolina, middle and high school. Ended up deciding that education really was the career route for me. And so I worked for Teach for America in North Carolina under Jim Hunt one of the other great governors. And I really started to work in the nonprofit space in education. I decided that I should get a degree, get some credentials, learn a little bit more about the sector. And so I did a master's and doctorate degree in education policy. And throughout my career, I've worked mostly in helping improve the quality of teaching and teachers, and also trying to understand how we get good at teaching across racial difference. I went back and worked with Teach for America. I've done work in research centers, helping solve teacher problems using research tools. And then I spent kind of by accident, eight years in education philanthropy. And it's really in the philanthropy work where I decided that it was time to jump back into the fray of political and service work. About 18 months ago, I was working at the Schusterman Family Philanthropies, where our tagline was Schusterman Hearts Teachers. Majority of the work that the family invested in was in building teacher capacity and improving the diversity of our educator workforce. Yeah, And we started to hear kind of stories that the work was maybe dangerous or being under attack. Mm. The family is from Oklahoma. And just it seemed like in the matter of three months, there were laws, bans on CRT, laws that talked about divisive concepts, and really a ton of our grantees could no longer do their work or they were worried about actually just working with schools on important issues. And so I said to someone, the one of the co-founders of the Campaign for a Shared Future, what should we do about this problem? I feel like maybe we need you know, some communications help. And our one of our co-founders, Ruth Ann Buck, said, no, we don't need a strategic comms. We need a campaign. This is a political problem that's landed on the schoolhouse doors. And educators really need support in wading through what we now would call an extremist political attack. And so the campaign, I joined the campaign as their first executive director in July of okay. last year, mm-hmm. 2022. We were founded in October of 21. And we have three goals. Our aim is to stop the proposal 
passage and implementation of anti-equity legislation that punishes educators just for doing their job, mm-hmm. that really restricts access to quality content for young mm-hmm. people. And then we're interested in reminding all of us citizens that public education is the cornerstone of a multiracial democracy, public education in all its forms, really important, not just to the academic and developmental needs of young people, which is the central function, but also, you know, it's the place where we learn to get along with each other and work together. So I'm excited to be doing the work. We're busy. There's a lot going on out there. And I do characterize it as political theater and not about the needs of real families and students. Yeah. And just to put some numbers and context around this, 2022 was a record-breaking year in terms of the number of books that were banned in schools across the country, and also the language that I've seen out there is age-appropriate as well. Clearly, you know, as a parent of a four-year-old, you know, I'm not going to recommend he read Toni Morrison's Beloved Tomorrow. However, the idea that these books are being banned for high school students, frequently for students who books can change lives, and access to some of these books really can be that lifeline for a kid who maybe is feeling disconnected, no one's really reaching them through the wonder of great literature, great books, challenging books. That's really what ultimately helps us form our identities. And then with the support of parents, with the support of teachers, with support of the community, you know, those of us who are pro-education, not surprisingly, tend to be pro-books. But then the challenges are really around these bans, can you give some context or some contours around like the scope of the problem and what we've been seeing lately? Yeah. So first thing I want to say is book banning is un-American and it's unpopular, Uh, but it has been the effect of many of these legislative efforts. And we're seeing record numbers of challenges to books. And when a book is challenged, it's taken off the shelf until it goes through a particular process. And between July of 2021 and June of 2022, there were 2,500 unique book titles removed from shelves. 2,500 mm-hmm. in the span of a single calendar year. And 2023, by the way, is is keeping pace, if not outstripping it. Pen America, a partner that we work with, reported 1,477 instances in this school year alone. Right. And, you know, we're in May, so we're closing it out. But that's a lot. Right. Um, we see that many of these titles address LGBTQ themes, issues of race, or feature characters of color, which is incredibly difficult, as you said in your question. Like, we all have a beloved book that, maybe not Toni Morrison's beloved, but we have a book that we can recall from our childhood that spoke to us because either it opened a new world for us or it let us know that there were other people who had experiences that we did. And so for these censors to target the most vulnerable groups or groups that have been traditionally marginalized is, is terrible. It's terrible practice. It creates more conflict as opposed to bringing people together at a time when we really need to focus coming out of a global pandemic and school closures on getting kids back to reading. Yeah, because that's for me, I'm still surprised that it's a a bit of a political statement to be against book bans. But if it is, count me in. This is also the campaign is Let America Read. 
if, yes. through a partnership with uh, CAA and a bunch of leaders and actors and folks who want to come down on the record to say, we are in fact against banning books. The other reality is that you were catching me up on this a bit before we started recording, is that there's always been a process for going through the paces and seeing whether a book should or should not be included in a library. That's something that's been around for a while. Those things are not going away. It's just that now there's been more of a concerted effort to go after a set of books. And then to me, the thing that is most frustrating is it's pretty clear that a lot of people who want books banned haven't actually read the books that they're asking to be banned. I do feel like a little bit of like, give me a book report, show me that you actually did a little bit of your homework before you want this thing to be banned because it then does kick off a whole set of steps that are necessary to actually defend the book. And that's really where in many ways your organization is, is chiming in. But can you talk a little more about that? Like what's involved in containing this stuff? And it feels like you can just kind of gum up the works by kicking off a lot of this process and effectively get those books off the shelves along the way. Those are all the features of why I believe this is a politically motivated attack on K-12 education. Mm -hmm. If it were about helping kids read or protecting kids from pornography, we would be engaged in an effort that was more inclusive and more representative of parental concerns. So I think it's a red flag that this is about extremist politicians leveraging fear and the challenges coming out of the global pandemic to move their agenda forward. It's always tricky. So, you know, historically in America, schools have been locally controlled. So it's always tricky because our communities are diverse. And so we've got a debate and a spirited debate, hopefully, that yeah. people are paying attention. But in this case, I believe strongly that there's an extreme minority making decisions for all of us. And so at the campaign, we really tried to pay attention to where the common ground, where the majority of families and students say what they want to see in schools. And so I love the testimony that we've seen out of young people in particular around, it's okay for your parent to tell you that book is inappropriate, but if right. my parent thinks it's okay for me, then I want to have access to it. So we don't want to take access away. Right. You also referenced our Let America Reads campaign. So I, it's a very exciting opportunity. So I want to just give some color around it. So, you know, it's an important thing to get the word out about why this might be happening and that it might be happening in your community. So we partner with the CAA Foundation to leverage celebrity. You know, everybody also, not only do they have their favorite book, but they have their favorite celebrity to talk a little bit about the titles really beloved type titles. I keep using the word beloved, but like Diary of Anne Frank. Right. You know, Tony, one of my favorite books, Tony Morrison's The Bluest Eye, which is a book I did not read until college, but then I taught to seniors in high school when I was a teacher in an honors class. Yeah. So again, age appropriate matters, but banning a book, restricting its use for any and all really is an extreme solution to what we're talking about. So the Let America Reads campaign had celebrities really sharing their favorite band books and talking about this issue. And we've actually been surprised to see there are still a lot of folks who don't know this is going on in their backyard and who we hope will be mobilized to say, hey, wait a minute, let's think this through with each other, not screaming at each other. 
it's one of those places where I actually think there's an opportunity to flip the issue and actually own a little more of parent choice, the idea of freedom and yes. the, the First Amendment issues that have become inverted in some ways through the culture war. I think there are opportunities to kind of take it to the next level to say, we're happy to engage in the conversation about whether a book's appropriate or not. In fact, that is part of what we should be doing as a society. But at the same time, how do we make sure that we're very, very careful about how high we set that bar so that if a book is truly not appropriate for the shelves, we pull it off. And if it needs bracketing and caveats and access controls, let's have that conversation. But the idea that someone who may be offended by a title they didn't read associated with terminology that is just triggering the way CRT has been weaponized through the culture war. You could say these books have to do with CRT. People don't really know what CRT is. They haven't actually read the book, but they're concerned enough about their kids and they've been activated by this culture of fear to the point where they feel like it's the right thing to do. And they even want to like signal that they're doing it. How do we maybe turn the dial down to some extent? How do we get back to, you mentioned literacy before, like in some ways this all is hiding the fact that we have a real literacy problem in this country where getting kids to embrace any book to the point where they're connected to it and they're actually learning to read. That's right. That is a breakthrough. Right. I mean, I always say two things. One, parents are their kids' first teachers. I have two children of my own. They are teenagers now. But for sure, I have always thought, and I know most parents that I know, I've always thought to work with the the kids' teachers to help them get engaged. I love my, our elementary school, I used to send a form home at the beginning of each year that said, what are your dreams for your kids? What is their particular, like, great talent? What are are your hopes for them? And then the teacher would take that and firm me, and then we had a basis to work together. That collaborative work is important. And I think schools do the work of teaching skills and knowledge. Families teach values, and we need to work together to get that done. But learning to read is hard. It's not easy. Teaching someone to read is challenging. But an essential element of motivating students, but also helping them make meaning is for them to have access to literature and content that both reflects their experience, but also challenges them and opens them up to new ones. So, you know, I find it particularly troubling that we would be taking literature off the shelf at a time when we know we haven't done a good job historically teaching kids to read and we need to do better in this moment for sure. Yeah, Uh, I think those things are really important. Yeah, not to mention the number of kids who learned how to read, reading graphic novels and manga and yeah. rom- romance oh, romance I, novels. There are so many manga on my shelf. I've <laughs> got a 13 and 17 year. Yeah, yeah. So like if it's, and if it's not on the library shelf, kids are still going to, kids who are earnest about it and who want to find it, they're going to find these things. But the thing that I find is if you don't even allow the conversation and the critical read to happen, You know, the place where kids are really going to learn to read critically is at school and through the help of a school librarian or a teacher. I did want to shout out a little bit to the school librarians, too, who are kind of the hidden heroes. Oh, my goodness. They're not even hidden. 
yeah. they are the heroes in this yeah. narrative. Well, I mean, I think they're hidden in that maybe those who are less close to it don't realize how critical a role they're playing in defending really the First Amendment and educational freedom in some really interesting ways. Can you talk a little more about school librarians? I would love to talk about school librarians. We work with uh, a really lovely school librarian who has unfortunately had to endure attacks on her safety and on her credibility in Louisiana, a woman named Amanda Jones, who is a school librarian, but decided to speak up at just a basic censorship approach when she saw people trying to take bills out. Her life was threatened. She's been called a groomer, a pedophile. She's in a small town in southern Louisiana, and she's lived there all her life with her family. And she really just wanted to stand up for diversity of titles. And this, again, this is not, these are not your neighbors who are coming out for you. This is an orchestrated attack and maybe turning your neighbors against you. She talks really eloquently about all the existing ways that librarians learn their craft, right? To help kids select books, to steer them towards their passions and interests, and how when she saw this stuff started to happen, that it's not only the laws themselves or the processes, but the chilling effect. Mm-hmm. So she talks really eloquently. I've talked to educators from librarians to system leaders, superintendents to classroom teachers. It's a chilling effect. So what this has created is that people now who maybe aren't even under a law or a ban are questioning their professional judgment around whether or not they should teach a lesson. Mm-hmm. And I think that is dangerous. Obviously, we need to have a community dialogue about it, but I like to point to the example that was in the New York Times a couple, maybe a month or so ago, where a publisher had rewritten the Rosa Parks story with no mention of race. I mean, really? The Rosa Parks story? Are we? What is scary about the fact that we used to live in a country where things were incredibly segregated by race and we've overcome that and that we recognize Rosa Parks as a national hero? To all of us, right, that we're, we're in a place where we think we need to strip that story out because it in some way indoctrinates or harms our children. It's a great American story. We should be claiming that. So I think like from the librarian to the classroom teacher, we have to be supporting them and doing their work, allowing them to do their jobs and encouraging others to be in community with them. Yeah, exactly. And so folks are interested, the website for this is campaignsharedfuture.org. We'll include it in the show notes for the conversation if you're curious about what Heather has been talking about. And also, you know, I frequently adhere to the what, so what, now what school of communication. So yes. shout out to Sanal Choksi and Matt Abrams, who I got that from. But the what is book banning. So what is it's happening and we need to prevent it and really learn how to fight against it and put the right messaging back out there to kind of counter some of these attacks. So the now what, what do we do? And I, I know that's kind of why the campaign exists. So, so what do you recommend folks do if they're activated about this? Get involved, go vote, go run for school board. Mm-hmm. So one of the things our campaign has seen as the best offensive message is when local communities, folks who have experience with schools run for school board. Your local school board makes most of the policy decisions around this issue, and they need to, one, hear from community members about why 
banning books is not the way forward. Mm -hmm. So go out. I know it can seem scary, but going out and just reminding people of why you believe in open access to literature is an important thing. But also run for school board. Uh, if you've had an experience of a great education or if you have had an experience of a bad education, you serving in that role is really important. At the campaign, we're excited because in 2023, it's the year of the school board. There are almost 30,000 open school board seats uh, that will be elected this year. And so it's really going to be an important and pivotal role. And they make all most of the decisions around curriculum and finances, et cetera. So it's important that we have folks in those seats who understand how important public education is to the democracy. Yeah, that's great. And frequently folks don't get as activated in off years, but I do like the idea that's right. of saying, if you care about education, the off years, the 2023 rather than 2024, where we know education is going to be a national topic, that's it, right. will, it will be something that's discussed as part of the presidential election. But right now, more at a local level, which is where a lot of this stuff is happening, it's time to get out ahead and start thinking about how you might be able to contribute, make a difference. And then the actual campaign, what's the nature of that? What are you asking folks to do around Let, Let America Read? So Let America Read, you can use the hashtag and put up a picture of your favorite book. Many of the celebrities that have been in the thing, basically they do a video that shares why they love the book note that it's been banned or removed from shelves. And then you can go to our website, letamericareed.org, that will help you identify organizing in your local area and different organizations that you can help support. Again, your shout out to the librarians is a meaningful and useful one. American Library Association, our organization and PEN America, all trying to push back against these kind of bans. And so you can donate as well. Yeah, I'm starting to think a bumper sticker. Have you supported your local librarian today? You know, something Love like it. that. Something just to <laughs> give them a little bit of shine. The other thing before we wrap, we'll do some concluding thoughts from you in a bit. But before we get to that, uh, I always like to ask guests for advice for other folks, maybe earlier in their career, folks who are trying to understand where the world of education is going and how they can kind of chart a path professionally through it, you're someone who's really kind of thrived in that capacity. I'd love to get some thoughts from you around what have you noticed? What have you observed? Any recommendations for folks? I always love to work with people who inspire me. And so across the various organizations that I've worked for, I love to gravitate towards a great leader. I think that's important. I think if I weren't fighting this fight, I'd be really interested in how we're going to solve the crisis of the design of high school. I have a 17-year-old. I have a 14-year-old who is going to be a freshman next year. And the high school model is really outdated. They have so much access to knowledge through the internet, mm. and they're connecting through social media. And I know that you know there's been a lot of talk this year about AI, but honestly, we just don't leverage any of those tools well at the high school level. And so I'm waiting for somebody to shake that up and make it happen for really the bulk of children. And this is an interesting thing in this book banning and censorship fight and attack on K-12. You know, the truth is that young people have access to all the information in their phones and in their hands. Yeah. And, you know, they are politically engaged and we should stop ignoring them uh, and let them build some power. 
I think the experiences of 18 to 22 year olds are the most instructive, particularly if you're sitting in elected office and you want to understand what is the right thing to do, listening to what students say about what worked for them and got mm. them ready for college and career is important. Yeah. I always joke about how far we make it into an episode without talking about AI and I didn't bring it up. So thank you. I was thinking we might actually make it through this episode, but now that you mentioned it, the other dimension that I've heard as it relates to AI and some of that capability is the way even people learn how to read. There is the whole books movement, which is to teach right. literacy through the context of the entire book. There's also right. a shout out to my wife who introduced me to the container problem, which is the idea that people understand components and passages. They understand little pieces of things. They don't understand how the whole thing fits mm. together. Learning how to read by reading great books, honestly, by reading even like kind of trashy books that you just happen to read <laughs> as a teen, you're a teenager, you know, but like reading great teen fiction as an example, that's frequently what creates a reading identity, a learner identity that is something you continue to build on really throughout your life. And if your life, we, yeah, if we could get more people activated and engaged in that, it really would be amazing. We're getting close to time, Heather. I'd love to hear any concluding thoughts. Also, any other ideas, concepts, topics that we didn't hit on, feel free. We're in the free form stage of the conversation. So you could go anywhere you want, but we're ultimately heading towards wrapping up. Well, I mean, what I just want everyone to know is that if you didn't know about this book banning and also this wave of anti-equity legislation that's landing on K-12 schools, I want you to look into what's happening in your state. I think this is very important. We at the campaign, if you go to our website, we can help you get connected. But I think we don't want politicians dictating what happens in our schools. We want politicians to support us with policy and resources for kids to get educated, but they really shouldn't be dipping down and telling us what kind of books we're reading. You know, the second thing I would say is book banning is un-American. And this is not just about schools. This is about the democracy and a public education in all its forms is still really important. The vast majority of young people are in public schools and public schools can be trusted when they work with families to get the job done. We should not be running away from that as Americans. And then, you know, vote in your school board election and run for school board if you had the wherewithal to do so. There's a great need for leadership there. There are a lot of open seats and we want real authentic parent and community voice in those seats. Fantastic stuff with Heather Harding, who's the executive director of Campaign for Our Shared Future. The campaign that they're talking about right now is called Let America Read. You can find out more at campaignsharedfuture.org and letamericareed.org. We'll be including all that in our show notes. Heather, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Thanks, Michael. It's been a pleasure. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write us a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education. <laughs>